Please open your Bibles to John chapter 17. We have studied over the past couple of weeks up through verse 17 of John 17. So today we will be picking up our study in verse 18. But uh, as I always say, you can never get too much of God's Word. So what I'd like to do is just go back to verse 1 of chapter 17 and then go ahead and read our way on up into our study for today. So uh, John chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, as we discussed last week, followers of Jesus are in the world, but are not to be of the world. Now, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I suggest you go back and, and listen to that recording. Uh, but if you did, hopefully um, you have taken some time to meditate on what that means to you 
personally in your in your walk with the Lord. What does it mean to you to be not of this world? How does that apply in your life? Or does it at all? Or do you look very much like the rest of the world around you, but yet you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You see, we need to periodically check ourselves and, and see what kind of grip this world has on us. How has this world maybe fashioned your mind or, or shaped you in some way that, uh, that is, you know, far from the Word of God, maybe? Or maybe you're just a little off course. You see, if you're not careful, this world will suck you in, chew you up, and spit you out. But Jesus, here in verse 18, says that he sent his disciples into the world. You see, the original 12, uh, they were the original missionaries the original pastors, and of course, the original apostles. Well, now it's down to 11 at this point. But they, that's what they were. They were the original missionaries and pastors and apostles. And I want to just quickly show you something amazing about the way these men did what they did. Let's turn to Mark chapter 6. It's important that we... Um, see what I'm about to show you here and see how these disciples went into the world with the gospel message. Because today we see, in many ways, poor representations of, of people spreading the gospel and what people are doing in the name of Jesus Christ on radio programs, on television programs and such. So the Gospel of Mark, you'll find it to the left of the Gospel of John just before Luke, and I want you to turn to chapter 6, and let's start reading in verse 7. So Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called the twelve to himself, and he began to send them out two by two, and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts. You see, Jesus sent these guys out empty-handed. And today we have people preaching the gospel, or they're supposed to be, and they say things like, if you don't call now, and support this ministry, we're going to go off the air. If 500 of you don't send me $500, then I can't minister on my next Alaskan cruise. <laughs> we hear all kinds of stuff like that. But you know what I say to stuff like that? Go to the projects and minister. Go up and down the streets of your own town with the love of Jesus, and it won't cost you a dime for your ministry doesn't cost you anything to go out in your local grocery store and when you're standing in line, get to know somebody. Talk to them. See where they are. Tell them about the love of Jesus. Show them the love of Jesus. You know, if you're called by the Lord to go somewhere or to do some type of ministry, 
He will provide your needs. He will take care of it. You won't have to beg. You won't have to plead. The Lord will take care of your needs. He'll open the door of ministry. You know, personally, I'll be teaching the Bible with or without money. Is money a helpful blessing in the ministry? Yeah, it sure is. But should we be giving so that the preaching of the gospel is not burdensome? Yeah, I really do believe that we should. I believe that if there are people out there that are truly teaching the word of God and and taking their time to preach the gospel, um, we should support it as we can. But like Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, God shall supply all you need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So we see here in Mark that Jesus sent them out empty-handed and he was going to take care of their needs. But back in John chapter 17, Jesus says in his prayer to the Father that He sent the disciples into the world like the Father sent him into the world. And then in verse 19, back um, back now in John chapter 17, verse 19, he goes on to say, And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now, Back in verse 17, it says, Jesus is praying there, right? He says, uh, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then here, again in verse 19, it says that they were sanctified by the truth. So once again, we see that we need the word of God to sanctify us like we talked about last week. Now, the word sanctify there means to be set apart. Jesus kept himself set apart from this world, and he prayed to the Father that his disciples would be set apart from this world. We discussed the whole not of this world thing last week, but it is the word of God that has the power to cause us to be set apart. We cannot sanctify ourselves. Praying certain prayers and doing certain religious duties will not have the effect of sanctifying us. Again, only the Word of God can do this, and it is the work of God Himself in our lives through His Holy Word. And where do we find His Holy Word today? We find it in our Bibles. Now, did all of this what Jesus is saying and and praying here, did all of this just apply to the original disciples only? Well, that's a good question, but that question is answered right here in verse 20. Jesus goes on to say, I do not pray for these alone, but but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me today. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a believer in Jesus because the original disciples spread it. Uh, is that the word? Spread it. <laughs> they went out spreading the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. So this prayer that Jesus is praying 
about being sanctified and being set apart, it applies to you and me as well. We need to be set apart from this world. And this takes place by the power of the Word of God within us. You know, I could sit there and, and or sit here and, and, and lay down some rules for you and say, here's what you have to do to be not of this world. You have to do this, you have to do that, you have to not do this, and you have to do that. You know? But I really believe that it's something that God has to work within you. And He will work that within you as you continue to study His Word. And when He works it in you, He will make you the man or the woman that He desires for you to be. Not what somebody else wants you to be for them, but what God wants you to be. You see, and when I talk about being set apart, I do not believe that we are to be physically set apart from this world. Meaning, you know, we go and we start a commune somewhere and we live separate from everybody and, you know, we do all that kind of stuff, you know. Because back in verse 15, Jesus says, he prays, he says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. You know, so Jesus is not saying that we should all just go off and live in the woods somewhere with no electricity and no running water. If you feel called to do that, go right ahead. Maybe I'll come and visit you someday. Uh, maybe. But, but seriously, though, being set apart, as Jesus is talking about here, it's not an outward thing. It's an inward thing. Like I said, it's something that the Word of God will do in you. The Word of God will sanctify you because the Word of God is the truth that sanctifies us. Do you remember we looked at uh, John 6.63 last week where Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, he said, are spirit and they are life. That's John 6, 63. I want to read it again. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So you see, that's the power of the Word of God. The Word of God has an internal effect, and it sanctifies us and sets us apart within. It changes us on the inside. You see, in this prayer of Jesus, like I said, it applies to you and me today as much as it did to the disciples then. Because as we walk by faith through this life, we are the modern day disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jesus continues in verse 21 and says, that they all may be one as you Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So here we see Jesus speaking of a oneness. And this oneness that he speaks of is a oneness that believers in Jesus have with him and the Father. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So as Jesus speaks here of being one, he is not speaking of all religions coming together. The Bible makes it plain and and very clear that there is only one way to heaven. And you know, why don't we just take a minute or two here and just look at a, a couple of scriptures that speak to that fact, that there's only one way. Let's um, turn back just a few chapters to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And um, let's look at verse 6. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a very emphatic verse of Scripture here. And this causes many people to get upset and say, Ah, they get so angry that there's only one way and that it's so narrow. Well, Jesus said the way was narrow. It does not say that you can come to the Father through Muhammad, through Buddha, through Hare Krishna, through this church, through that church, through whatever. No, it's just through Jesus Christ alone. Let's look at another scripture. Turn uh, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, right after the Gospel of John. Acts chapter 4. And let's look at verse 12. It says, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, how clear is that? It doesn't get any plainer than that. Jesus is the only way to an eternal life in heaven. And when Christ is in us, we are then one with him. And the Father, as Jesus spoke of back in John chapter 17, were one with the Father as well. Okay, go ahead and turn back there. Go ahead and turn back to John 17. Picking it up now in verse 24 of John 17, Jesus goes on, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. You know, how awesome is it going to be when one day we see the glory of Jesus? Seeing his glory means that we will see his exalted state his brightness, his splendor, his majesty. And Jesus expresses here in verse 24 his excitement about the fact that his disciples 
will see this in heaven. You know, it makes me think of that uh, song that's been popular for a few years now. I can only imagine. You know, what will we do? Like the song says, will we stand in his presence or will we fall to our knees? Will we sing hallelujah? Will, Will we be able to speak at all? You know, the day will come when we will be in the presence of the Lord. And there again, in verse 24, Jesus states that the Father loved him before the foundation of the world. This, of course, speaks again to the deity of Jesus Christ, as we discussed last week and as we have discussed many times as we've gone through um, the Gospel of John. But in verse 25, Jesus continues, O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. You know, that's a very key statement that people must deal with within their own hearts today. Do you know that Jesus was sent from heaven? The Father God, the everlasting Spirit, became flesh in Jesus Christ and came to the earth. And Jesus says in verse 26, And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let's turn back to First uh, John chapter four. First John is toward the back of your Bible, right after Second Peter. And uh, while you're trying to find that First John chapter four, I want to read to you verse twenty-six of John seventeen again. It says. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Okay? And then 1 John chapter 4, starting down in verse 12, it says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. So in those verses there, we see that God is love, and that when we confess our faith in Jesus Christ, The Son of God, He gives us His Spirit, like it says there in verse 13. 
And we now have God's love abiding in us by the Spirit. And that's what Jesus prayed to the Father back in John chapter 17, 26, that the love with which the Father loved him would be in us. That's what he wanted. And of course, love is the way that others will know that God dwells in us. And then it goes on here in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, as we read all of this, how is it that God's love is perfected in us? Personally, I've come to realize that without Jesus, there really is no agape love in me. Remember that word agape that we studied several weeks back? Agape is God's kind of love. It's it's a word that means love, but it's God's kind of love. It's an unconditional love. And it's the kind of love being spoken of here in these verses that we're reading. You know, I may be able to display uh, some brotherly love and even a little bit of agape love from time to time. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I can never show that agape love, that unconditional love. It's not in me. I'm not holier than thou compared to anybody. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. We can't exalt ourselves as Christians and say we're better than anyone else because it has nothing to do with us. If not for the Spirit of God within us, we have no ability to love. The only way that someone will ever see agape love in us is by seeing Christ in us. And verse 19 here goes on to say, We love him because he first loved us. You see, the ability to love is not um, something that is inherently uh, easy within this body of sin of ours. You know, it's not something we were born with. It's not something we've earned or something we can obtain to. You know, if you go think all the way back to uh, Cain and Abel, do you know that they were the first two people born in the same way that you and I were born? Their parents, Adam and Eve, were created. But Cain and Abel were born just like you and I. And of course, we know from Scripture that Cain murdered Abel. You see, Cain is an example of the ugliness that dwells in the flesh of human beings. Now, glory to God, none of us may ever murder someone, but the truth of the matter is that without Jesus Christ, none of us are able to show what true love is because he's the one that showed it. We loved him. We love him because he first loved us. He initiates the love. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's sad because it, it's important that we realize this because so many people today think that they can 
earn righteousness, or so many people don't even try to come to God or don't even want to understand the Bible because they feel like they're not worthy. Well, the truth is they're not, and neither am I. None of us are. We never will be. There's nothing we can do. It's by God's grace alone. You see, it was initiated by God. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes on him, believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. But if you have been born again, and you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, you've been born of the Spirit, you've been made new, a new creation in Christ, then what he wants us to do is take his love to others around us. You know, we all fall short without the power of his Holy Spirit. But once his Holy Spirit is in us, we have the ability to just reach out and love others. But you know, we really can't take God's love to others unless we appropriate his love in us first. Just look at verse 20 here. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must first love his brother also. Or, excuse me, I added a word there. He, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So we see a, a couple of different things in those two verses there, verses 20 and 21. For one, we cannot hate our brothers and sisters in Christ and claim to, to love God. Scripture makes it clear here that this uh, type of person is a liar. But for this flesh of ours, it's real easy to be a liar in that way. Because we don't always love each other. There are times when we just rub each other wrong. So day by day, we must die to our fleshly nature by taking up the cross, as we studied also a couple of weeks ago. And we must fix our eyes on Jesus and by faith begin to walk in his love. And by faith, take his love to others around us. Because the bottom line is, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Christ in us is our only hope. It's not in our own strength. We got to give up and yield to Jesus Christ and say, take control, Lord. Take all of me. This is a very difficult thing for our carnal minds to understand. But it's only when we die to ourselves that the love of Christ will be seen in us. You see, our carnal flesh very easily wants to be ruled by pride, unforgiveness, things like that. You know, things like say, well, well, if you knew what that person did to me, you'd hate them too. And yeah, people do ugly things, you know. there It goes on within the body of Christ. It, it goes on in in many different places, but we must be people that forgive. Sometimes there are people that uh, you just need to move on from. You just need to say, well, 
their behavior is such and, and they repeat this behavior over and over. You see them do this to one person, then you see them do it to the next person, then to the next person. And finally, you know, sometimes you, you have to say, you know what, bad company corrupts good morals and you got to move on. But when you move on, you don't move on with bitterness. You don't move on with hatred in your heart. Make sure that you forgive and then you move on. Let's turn to James chapter 4. It's back to the left of 1 John where we are right now. It's between Hebrews and 1 Peter. James chapter 4. And let's start reading in verse 1. James 4, 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have? You murder and covet and cannot obtain? You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. So you see, this is the kind of thing that is in this flesh of ours. Lust, desire for pleasure. We want we, and we want and we want and we keep on wanting. <laughs> And if we don't get things the way we want, we don't like it. But it continues on here in verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, just like we studied a couple of weeks ago, and like I said earlier here, we have to take up the cross daily. In other words, every day we need to put to death our fleshly desires by humbling ourselves and allowing God's grace to rule and reign in our hearts. Like it says there in verse 6, when we humble ourselves, God gives us grace. Right? We have to we have to beat down this flesh of ours. We have to humble ourselves. Let go of our pride. But there is an action that we have to take in order to get to that point. And it says there in verse 7, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And do you see the action words in that verse? Submit and resist. Submit to God, resist the devil. Because the devil will tempt you to be self-centered, to be proud, to be arrogant, to be haughty, to be the complete opposite 
of who God wants you to be as we see in his word. You know, and there's more action involved too. Look at verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, what does that mean, double-minded? Well, it means you're thinking in two ways. You think you can love God and draw near to Him and continue walking, being led by the lust of your flesh. You think you can have it both ways. Well, you can't. None of us can. It's only, and when we live that way, we're, we're known to be hypocrites. You see, Paul the Apostle, um, in uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, said that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. You see Paul's attitude there? He said, he's the chief of sinners. He says, I'm at the top of the list. Now, this does not mean he continued in sin because he spoke about that as well in Romans. But what it was is that he understood that he needed to realize his true state so that he could come to see the truth about who Jesus Christ really is. Jesus came to save sinners. If you don't think you're one, then salvation that Jesus offers is not going to come to you because you've got to realize that you need a Savior before you can receive a Savior into your heart. But God's Word makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here in verse 9 of James chapter 4, it says, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So, as the disciples of Jesus in this world today, you and I as followers of Jesus, we are to humble ourselves and realize that we are wretched at best and that we need the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And, is, and it is when a person's heart has come to this place of humility that God lifts them up, shows them His love for them, and they, in response to His love, go out and love others. God's love is perfected in us when we humbly realize that we cannot do it without Him. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.